You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life, reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. Hey, good morning, everybody. Hey, what's really cool seeing those baptism videos? Like, I don't know if you realize you're sitting in, at church with a church where there was like in June, mostly just in June, a little bit of July, there was like 50 baptisms at Real Life on the Palouse this summer. Like, summer. It is awesome to be a part of a family where people are sharing their faith, encouraging their friends and family to like be all in for Jesus, right? So we are in this uh, series on the Sermon on the Mount, and we've been in it for a while. And so if you're new or just visiting this morning, jump online and catch up on some of the messages. There's been some really cool teaching both here and in Moscow at our other Moscow location on this series as we go through the Sermon on the Mount. But We are in Matthew 7, and we're going to just quick take a look at what we talked about last week. Last week, we looked at the beginning of Matthew 7, and we talked about how this passage in the beginning of Matthew 7 was all about how we relate to each other, how we relate to others. Jesus talked about not judging. We learned about what judging is and this word krino and the different forms or uses of that word, and that the primary application that Jesus was using in that passage in Matthew 7 was don't judge in the way that is reserved for God only. There's a type of judging that is reserved for God, a judging of the motives of someone's heart, like their darkest secrets, the why they do what they do, that type of judging is for God and God alone. And so when Jesus is saying, don't judge lest you be judged, he's saying, don't try and do God's job. Right, And then we learned in the passage where he talked about the log and the speck that, that we need to take the, the log out of our own eye first. Right, And if you were here last week, then you saw my firewood I brought with me. If you weren't here, then you missed it. And the point was that we deal with our own stuff first. Not just that we deal with our own stuff, but there was a reason for it. That when we deal with the big things in our own life, then we're able to help our family and our friends, our brothers and sisters deal with the specs, the incidental things going on in their life, right? Like there's a reason we deal with our stuff so that we can help our friends and family and our brothers and sisters. And then lastly, we talked about the end of that passage, how he talked about don't cast your pearls before pigs or dogs. And we talked about what that meant and the the context behind it. And the heart of it was that don't take our religion, our faith, our truth, and try and shove it down people's throats who aren't ready to hear the gospel. They're not ready to receive it or they're not in a place where they can understand the word of God. Instead, we should love one another the way that Christ first loved us. And in doing that, we show a lost and hurting world around us that we are Jesus's disciples, right? When we love each other well, it shows everybody around us that we're on team Jesus in a healthy, awesome attractive, inspirational way, not a preaching at them down their throat, but a a modeling in front of them of something that's desirable. When we really love each other well, it's, it's appealing to people that don't have relationship or have unhealthy relationship. They're like, what is going on? What's different about those people, right? 
And so the passage we're going to get into this morning is the, the next part in Matthew 7, and it's kind of a passage that is a little bit challenging, like it can get a little confusing. People can sort of manipulate the words to try and make them say something they don't. Sometimes people just flat wrong, un, uh, like wrongly understand the text. Sometimes um, people are just confused and aren't quite sure what this passage is exactly about. So I hope as we dig into it this morning that we can kind of open your eyes up to what Jesus is teaching his disciples through this passage, okay? So let's dig into it, and then we're going to roll back through it. In Matthew 7, it starts off in verse 7. It goes like this. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Uh, or which one of you, if his son asked him for bread, would give him a stone, or if he asked for a fish, would give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Then he wraps it up with this statement. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. So a lot of times when you hear this passage, it's sort of assimilated or familiarized with like the prosperity gospel, the name it and claim it stuff. You like late night cable TV preachers that are trying to help you part with some of your hard earned cash, right? Like, come on, if you just ask the Lord, he's going to give it to you. If you just seek, all you've got to do is seek. I mean, come on now. If you knock to God's got a door, he wants to open for you, right? And you just, you get this crazy stuff going on in your head and they, they manipulate or abuse the text to try and make it say something it doesn't. And I don't know about you guys, but when I start thinking about prosperity gospel stuff and some of those crazy preachers, like always what comes to mind is their theme song. Maybe you're familiar with it, the prosperity gospel theme song. It goes a little something like this. Come on. Wait, it gets better. Come on. So I have used up all of my Tom favors. He will never take my Wednesday night late phone call again. <laughs> Tom, do you know this song? Um, things you've never been asked to sing in church. Here's the funny thing. We laugh about it, and it's funny because it kind of hits close to home, right? That's the reason it's funny is that it, it's, it's, it's close to what people do. They abuse this passage. They, they misuse it, misapply this text about asking and seeking and proclaiming and try to make it say something that, that it doesn't really say. But at the same time, 
When we actually stop and read through this passage, what we can start to wrestle with is we're trying to understand, like, is this a teaching that Jesus is teaching about us and other people? Or is this a teaching that's about us and how we talk to God? What are we trying to get at here? What, what is he teaching? Is this about prayer or is this about us and other people? And I want to say to you that for a minute, let's explore the idea that this has a lot to do with us and other people. We're going to talk about how it relates to us and God, and we'll get back to that in a minute. But I want to kind of flesh out with you how this passage about asking and seeking and knocking has a lot to do with us and how we relate to others, right? When we ask, we're honoring and respecting the other person. We're not judging like we've been learning about in the previous teachings in the Sermon on the Mount. We're not judging, we're not controlling, we're not condemning, we're not manipulating. We're just asking and we're honoring the free will of the other person. We're giving them the opportunity to say no. Like it's just a no strings attached ask, okay? Um, Let me tell you a story. There was a time a long time ago when my kids were really little. Um, Our oldest son is a senior, he was gosh, baby time, like he was really small. So this was a while back. And there was a weird circumstance that happened where we needed to be out of our house for like around a week, maybe a little bit longer. And it was November and we needed to be out of the house, but we still needed to be close. Like we had family we normally could have went and stayed with, but we had our everyday life we still had to do. So we needed to be close, but not in our house. And so we were in this weird predicament of having to ask a friend or some friends, uh, can we come and invite ourselves to your house for a week? The week of Thanksgiving. (laughs) You wanna find out who your friends are? So we wisely chose our friends that we may or may not be friends with after this was over. And no, we were great friends. And we chose some friends and we asked them and they said yes. And they said, yeah, absolutely. And so mind you, you got to understand when they said yes, they said yes to uh, accepting my wife and I, our five kids, four WrestleMania boys who are really good at breaking things and one sweet little girl and our dog to their two-bedroom bungalow. If you're in real estate, bungalow is the word you use to make small sound cute, right? It wasn't a big house. And so we piled in there for this week of Thanksgiving, did a makeshift Thanksgiving dinner together, and it was amazing. It was awesome. It was one of our best memories as a family. Our kids loved it. It was cool. And for us and this other family, it changed our relationship, right? Us asking brought us together. Asking connects. Asking brings people together. The problem with asking is that a lot of people really don't like to do it. Maybe you're one of those people. Maybe you know one of those people. A lot of people, when it comes to asking, they, they say, I'm the person that likes to help other people. I'm not the person that likes to ask for help. Right? Can you relate? They say, I'm not the person that likes to ask for help. The problem with, with this is that at the root of that, underlying that, like what's behind that, what's driving that is really 
pride and independence. We live in a culture where independence is celebrated, it's highlighted, it's, it's made out to be a great thing, but really it's sort of this awesome idea masqueraded as something great and good, and really it's not so great. Like, it's, like we're celebrating the idea that we can get to a point where we don't need anybody or anything. And when you stop and think about it, it it's sort of funny. Because in our American culture, we kind of think that there's a way things are supposed to go. We're supposed to start dependent and work towards independence. But we have this idea that we keep working towards it until we have reached like the epitome of independence where we are a self-made man or a self-made woman and we don't need anybody for anything, anytime at all. And it's like we have achieved it. Like we are fully independent. And in our culture... The idea of that is like put on a pedestal, like that's someone that's accomplished something. But in God's economy, it's not a good thing. The challenge is a lot of times anything that looks like or sounds like dependence is sort of frowned on, kind of a negative thing, right? Let me do a little test with you, see if you guys track with me. I'm going to throw a sentence out for you. You get to fill in the blank. This is a part where you talk out loud. with your mouth. Larry blank lives at home. Larry blank lives at home still, which brings up the next sentence. You got to bring what come on, bring it with me now. Larry is a blank. We're getting some good ones. Freeloader. Loser. Larry's 10. <laughs> Just for Larry. Just kidding. He's 49 and he collects model trains. Um, here's the thing. This idea of dependence in our culture is looked down on, right? It's part of our kind of American do-it-yourself, be-all dependent, you don't, don't need anybody for anything kind of worldview that creeps into how we see life. And it, it creeps into how we ask for help too, right? When we ask for help, rather than uh, just giving a straight up, no strings attached ask, if someone says yes, yes, great. If they say no, that's fine. And, and, and there's nothing, there's no manipulation, there's no shame, there's no baggage, there's no junk. Like just a straight up, good old fashioned ask, a lot of people can't do that. A lot of people do something more like, um, gosh, I'm really sorry. I mean, I'm really sorry to be calling you to ask you about this, which makes you start to think like, seriously? There is sorrow in your heart at the thought of asking me something. Like, like it's grieving you deeply to ask me, right? Or they'll say something like, Gosh, I, I, I'm, I, it, it's really hard for me to do this. And, and I know it's the last thing you want to do right now. I know that this is not what you really want to do. To which I always think, like, seriously, if you know what I think, you need to take that on the road and make some money. Because that is a skill that will pay big bucks, right? The psychic hotline is hiring. 
Or they'll say something like, I really hate to ask you. I hate to ask you. My mom does that one to me all the time. She'll call me up. I really hate to ask you. I know you're so busy. I hate to ask you. I'm like, really hate? Like, that's a big, strong word. Hate. You hate to ask me something. Like, man, I must be hard to talk to. Right? Then on the flip side of the coin, when it comes to asking, what happens is when we do ask, we're always worried if there's like this tit for tat, this like got to get even with somebody. If we, if we did something for them, then we're going to owe them something, like the payback idea. Like we, we're going to have a favor in the bank with them that they can call back at any time. And so it changes whether or not we want to help people because we don't know if we want to have to owe somebody something. This idea of asking seeps into how we ask other people for help. The independent nature of our kind of good old American, uh, we can do it on our own, bleeds into who we are and kind of how we see things and how we think about things. But it's in contrast to God's word and to the teaching that Jesus has given his disciples about asking and seeking and knocking. Now, as we continue in this passage, what happens next is something sort of weird. The next thing that happens in the passage is this little parable about fathers and stones and fish. It says, which one of you, if your son asks or your child asks uh, for bread, would give him a stone? Or if he asked for fish, would give him a serpent? And it says, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, then how much more would your father who is in heaven know how to give good things to those who ask him? And so now all of a sudden it's like back to, well, wait a minute, this sounds like it's about us praying to God. Right At the beginning, maybe it was about us and other people, but now it's starting to sound like it's more about us and God. The problem with a lot of us in our American culture and our Western minds is we want solutions. We want like hard facts. We want single answers to problems. And so we look at a passage like this and we try to solve like a math problem. What is the answer? Is this passage about us and how we relate to other people? Or is this passage about us and how we relate to God? And an Eastern mindset, the mindset of the scriptures, the mindset of a good Jewish rabbi would answer that question something like this. Yes. Yes, this passage, Jesus is teaching about how we relate to each other. Yes, in this passage, Jesus is teaching about how we relate and talk to God. It's not one or the other, it's a both and. And all throughout the New Testament, Jesus uses this type of teaching where he blurs the lines, intermingles things between how we relate to each other and how we relate to God. Just a couple weeks ago, we were looking in the Sermon on the Mount. We were talking about prayer and forgiveness. And Jesus added this twist on a prayer that his disciples were familiar with, the Amidah prayer that we talked about. At the end of that prayer, he added something that was new to them. 
he added this element about forgiveness. And he said that it's intermingled between you and how you forgive others and how you forgive God. He said it's something like, your willingness to forgive others who sin against you is directly related to God's willingness to forgive you when you sin against him. So we're starting to get this picture that how we relate to other people is connected to how we relate to God. It's not an either or, it's a both and. I wanna give you a couple examples to kind of flesh this idea out a little bit more. Let's take a look at this next one. Uh, the first one up is uh, James. In the book of James, chapter three, James is writing about the tongue. The whole chapter is a, a, a whole um, teaching about your tongue, like what you say with your mouth, the words that you say and the power that they can have. And he gives the beginning of the chapter, he gives some really neat examples. He says, your tongue can be like a bit or a bridle in a horse's mouth, or it can be like a rudder on the back of a huge ship, both small things that control something really big and can steer or direct it, right? And then he goes on to say this in James 3, 9, he says this, he does not say baby dedications. <laughs> Although Jesus loves babies, for the record. He says, with it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth the same opening, from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water, right? Like he's, James in this passage is giving these really practical, concrete examples to help us understand that it's a both and between us and other people and us and God. He says, you can't have a fig tree that makes grapes. You can't have a grapevine that makes figs. If a grape tree says it's, if a fig tree says it's a fig tree, but there are not figs on it, then it's not a fig tree, right? He's saying that's how it is with us and God. If we say that we love God, but out of our same mouth curse other people, then we're not actually walking with God. He's like, it's related. Let me give you another example. First John. He says, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him there's no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Right, like he's saying that if we say that we're in the light, like if we say that we're right with God, walking with the Lord, if we say in our culture, in our day and age, if we say we're a Christian, then we ought to walk like Jesus walked. Like our, we shouldn't just talk the talk, we should also be walking the walk. And he says, if we say this, if we go around saying I'm a Christian, but our life does not look like a Christian, then we're not a Christian. Like he's calling us to flesh out and deal with this tension that how we treat other people, how we relate with each other has a ton to do with how we relate to God. 
Everybody drives cars or rides in a car, and everybody's familiar with the instrument panel across the front. And it has all these gauges on it that tells you if your engine's hot or what your oil pressure is or how many RPMs you are. Like, they're indicators of how the engine's running, right? Our relationship with other people, how we interact with each other, how we treat each other, how we speak to each other, how we care about each other are the indicators on the dash of our spiritual health. Like they tell us how we're doing with God. The interesting thing, the cool and unique thing about how God set this up is that we actually have like these little things, these gauges that tell us how our engine's doing, how our life is doing with God, but they're, they're in such a way that other people can see them. Like other people get to watch us walk out relationship with people. They can see the gauges, like they can see and measure and gauge how are we doing. And when they see how we're doing with other people, it gives them an idea of how we're doing with God. And it comes back to this idea that if we're the kind of people that deals with our own stuff, pulls our own logs out of our own eye, then we're able to help each other when we see that we're off track with each other. Because oftentimes it's hard to gauge where somebody is at when their closeness and their intimacy with the Lord and their faithfulness to follow him. But it's easy to see how they relate with other people. We start to see where the specks show up in each other's lives. Right? Let me give you one more. 1 John chapter 2 says, Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it's a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Like we're getting all these metaphors, these word pictures, examples to help us understand that if we say that we're walking with the Lord, but it doesn't look like it in our relationships, then it should be like a check engine light going off. Something's not right with us and God. And back in this teaching in Matthew 7, Jesus is going, ask, seek, knock. He's, he's given this parable. Who of you, if your child, or who of you, if one of your close friends asks for bread, would give him a stone? Which starts to make us maybe question and think, like, what do we think about God? Does God give stones? which leads you to kind of ponder and chew on this idea, like really, when it comes down to it, what do you actually think about God? You see, because what you think about God deeply impacts and relates to how you're going to connect and relate with other people. How you connect and relate with other people reveals and gives insights to what you think about God. 
Do you know somebody that maybe thinks and acts like all their life they've tried to follow God? They have asked and asked and asked, but it seems like at every turn, God just gives them stones. If you know a person like that, what does that person give out in relationship? On the flip side, if you know somebody that's profoundly generous, that not, not just money generous, but like time, talents, energy, like when you think of them, you think, man, they're just a giver. Like they just give, 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 right? When you think of somebody that's profoundly generous, do you think that they have a view of God that God gives out stones? No way. What we think about God greatly impacts what we think about other people and how we relate to each other. It's super super important that we wrestle with this and that we take into context of our everyday relationships and our everyday lives. How we treat each other matters more than just be nice people. It matters because it, it shows whether or not we're actually on track following Christ, being like him, laying our lives down, being patient, being kind, being generous, having a love that's long suffering for one another. Like does, does, our, does our walk match our talk or are we just faking it, right? Jesus really wanted to hammer this idea home that, that how we treat others relates to how we, re, we see God and what we think about God. He, at the end of Matthew, he's talking about his second coming. He's talking about judgment and when he comes and what's gonna look like. I wanna read it to you and I wanna help kind of wrap this up with a picture in your mind of what it looks like to be the kind of people whose actions line up with our love for God. It lines up with a love for people. This is what Jesus says it looks like. Let's look at this. It says, when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne and before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates sheep from goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. And the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared from you, for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did you see, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see that you're a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? When did we see that you were sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. At judgment, Jesus is pulling people off to the side that were people whose walk matched up with their talk. And he was saying, inherit the kingdom that's been prepared from you, for you from the foundation of the earth. Like, like, well done. You are the ones that loved me. Catch this. This is what he's actually saying. You are the ones that loved me, Jesus, well. That's what he's trying to get them to see. 
And they're like, wait a minute, I don't, how did we love you? He's like, let me tell you all the examples. Let me roll the tape for you. Remember the time you stopped on the side of the road and changed his tire for that lady? Yeah, that was actually me. Remember the time you helped move that pe those people? You remember the time you painted that stuff? You remember the time you bought the groceries for the person in front of you? You remember the time you this? You remember the time you that? You remember the time you this? And he just goes on and on and on, rattling off your catalog of how you loved other people. And he's like, yeah, that was actually you loving me. Way to go. And he has given you a pat on the back like a proud dad of, of just seeing your kid do something amazing and calling out all of the awesome, cool things that you did that honored him and gave him glory. How we treat other people is directly related to how we treat God. And at the end of this passage in Matthew 7, Jesus wraps up this little teaching by saying that um, as you want other people to do to you, like what you want others to do to you, do that to them too. That sums up the law and the prophets. Skip the Old Testament. Just do to other people what you want done to you. Cliff notes. Bam. How we love each other matters. How we treat each other matters. We're going to move to a time of communion this morning as we wrap up. And uh, they're going to pass those buckets and go ahead and just drop the cards uh, in them when the buckets come by. And then right after that, they're going to pass out the communion trays. At Real Life, everybody listen to this. If you're new or haven't been here in a long time, remember this. At Real Life, we have what we call an open table when it comes to communion. Here's what that means. If you want to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus with us, please take communion with us. That's what that means. Anybody that wants to celebrate with us what Jesus did for us on the cross, we invite you to take communion with us. So when the communion trays are passed, go ahead and just hold on to the bread and the cup, and then we're gonna take communion together here in a few minutes towards the end. In your notes, uh, and it's gonna be up on the screen too, there's gonna be some, pass, uh, some implications, kind of takeaway points, some nuggets that we want you to chew on, and we're gonna walk through those while they're passing out the elements for communion, okay? Uh, the first one goes like this. It says, God will often put us in positions where we need community, right? You're going to have times in your life where you got to be out of your house over Thanksgiving. Probably a lot of you can think of things in your mind right now where you're like, whew, man, that would have been a real bummer if I didn't have people. You can also probably think of times in your life when you were in a spot where you really needed community and you didn't have it. That's a hard place to be. Let's look at this next one. These moments will define our true humility. Being forced to ask for help creates for us a value, uh, in us a value for others, right? Like when we're in spots where we have to humble ourselves, battle our own pride, set aside our independence, and be willing to be humble and ask for help, it creates in us a really cool thing. It starts to show us value in other people in ways that we never would have seen before. It starts to chip away at our, I, don't, I, I can do this on my own persona in a good way. Let's look at the next one. 
Submitting ourselves to one another is an act of submitting ourselves to God. Let's look at that Ephesians passage with it. It says, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's not a hold over your head, submit to each other thing. It's not a guilt trip thing. It's not a power trip thing. It's a reminder like personally reflecting that as we lay down our lives, as we set aside our plans, our goals, our money, our time, our talents, and we submit to each other, that in reality, we're actually submitting to Christ. It's not about the person. It's about Christ. And in a really cool way, we're building footage on our tape that God's watching back at judgment going, man, look at when you did that. I know you didn't think it was much, but I sure appreciated it. To think that Jesus would say to you, you did that for me. Like, how cool is that? We get together every Sunday and we get to remember through communion that God, through Jesus, showed us the, the ultimate way of laying down your life, the ultimate sacrifice for anyone, for all people through him, that he laid down his life so that our penalty for our sins could be paid, that we could be right with God, that we could have a relationship with, with uh, his father. We remember that on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and he gave thanks. As often as we get together, let's eat this in remembrance of him. In the same way, he took the cup and he told him, this cup represents the covenant, which is his blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. So as often as we get together, let's drink this in remembrance of him. In just a minute, we're going to stand up and, and close with some worship together, but we're going to have people that are going to be off to the sides that are available to pray with you. So if there's something that kind of struck a nerve or if there's something totally unrelated that you just need prayer about, and you want someone to just pray with you and put an arm on your shoulder and, and be there for you, please go and have someone pray with you. So if you would stand and let's close in worship. If you need to pray, pray. Otherwise, let's sing. We hope you've enjoyed this message from Real Life. If you'd like more information on who we are, what's happening in our church, and how you can get involved, visit us on Facebook and Twitter and visit our website, liferotp.com.